Welcome to Southern Illinois Worship Center. Today, you'll be hearing a powerful message from our latest series. Let's listen in now. If you have a Bible, uh, turn me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 7 through 11 in the New King James Version of the Bible. And then uh, throughout this, I'm going to use the New King James I'm going to use one text out of two versions. I'm going to use the Message Bible and the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, so while you're turning to 1 Corinthians or tapping to get over there uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to just say a few things that are happening, some things that have happened. And um, if you don't know, we have churches in South America and in uh, Suriname and Guyana and Trinidad. They are Southern Illinois Worship Center churches. We own them, we operate them, we finance them completely uh, through the uh, giving of you here. Pastor Pete Moak, who comes to 9 o'clock, uh, leads those churches from here uh, for us. And then we have a full-time pastor that is down there overseeing all those churches. And uh, we have said all along, we've been in a building program here for probably the last eight years or so. We've been building program, building buildings and programs that we've been building that we said from the outset as we built that we would never sacrifice ministry for a building. So the building comes second, ministry comes first, and we've been able to do both for a long, long time, and we are still able to do both. I just wanted to compliment you, though, on your generosity. Over the last few weeks, we have uh, purchased all new musical instruments for our churches in South America. We uh, purchased tools for them to build more churches and, and remodel churches. In November, we're going to have a massive youth crusade again this year. I believe that will be the 10th year in a row that we have done that. And that is all done by the financing that you uh, are providing to the South American churches. So I say thank you for that. On top of that, today uh, we are writing a check uh, to which is the Heron House of Hope. Over the last uh, years, we've been one of the top sponsors, that means one of the top givers to Heron House of Hope. So uh, we are giving money there to finance what's going on in Heron at the Heron House of Hope. We'll write that check and get that to them. So we're trying to do what we can to support our community. We don't have to recreate that wheel. We just support the wheel that's already been created by the Heron House of Hope. Over the last two weeks, we have purchased two cars for widows here in the church so that they can continue to attend church services. And so we've purchased cars for two widows. That's three cars this year. We did uh, four cars the year before and five cars the year before that that we are doing for people that are within uh, the building. So there's a, a lot of things that are going on within the church. And all of that is done through the generosity of all of you who give so generously to this house. And we just wanted to share, or I wanted to share with you some things that your finances are going to beyond that magnificent sanctuary that we're going to worship in as soon as certain politicians let ships get out of quarantine. And so uh, as soon as that happens, we'll get the contractors back and we're going to go. But ministry always supersedes a building. Because without ministry, the building means nothing. And so we thank you for your extreme generosity throughout this entire pandemic and prior to the pandemic. Thank you so much for your continued generosity. So hopefully you have found 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 7 through 11. And the scripture says there, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, 
and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and that's the topic we covered last week, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, or some translations say diverse, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. So all the gifts work by one and the same Spirit. So I'm breaking them apart. Paul broke them apart. I'm breaking them apart to teach you about each individual gift. But they are all of the same Spirit, and you can't break apart the Holy Spirit. It just comes as a singular gift that has all these different manifestations in it. And so even though today we're going to talk about the word of wisdom, that does not mean that throughout this service that God hasn't given words of knowledge and or prophecy and other things and gifts have been in operation through this service. We are simply just taking it apart to be able to teach, maybe better understand what God is trying to do within the church. And all of this is done by the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, which operates in our lives. So let me ask you just a few questions. Number one, throughout this series of operations, have you learned more about the gifts of the Holy Spirit than you had previously? Hey, I can't hear your brains now, but I, I can hear. All right. Throughout this series, have you realized that you are actually more gifted through the Holy Spirit than you originally knew? How many of you realize that? Okay. So I would ask you another question. Would it be beneficial to you that God would speak to you about your future? Would it benefit your life at all that God would speak a word over the top of your life and that word would declare God's plan and God's purpose over your life? So last week, I, I reversed how they are, I taught them versus how they are written there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8, where he begins with the word of wisdom and then says a word of knowledge. I took a word of knowledge and taught that first because a word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation of God about a past or a present circumstance in your life. Today, a word of wisdom is a supernatural revelation of God that reveals the mind of God and his plan and his purpose over your life. And the reason why I wanted to reverse them was that I believe many of us will never receive in faith, will never believe what God is going to say to us about the future that he has planned for us if God first doesn't deal with our past and our present. So many people are confused about their past and their present. And so unless God deals with that first, we will never totally receive what God is trying to move us to in his plan and his purpose for our life. So, I mean, if some of you today, if God's spoken to your life and said, and over the next 15, 20 years, I'm going to use you as a missionary, and you're thinking, my goodness, I barely got myself up out of bed today because I'm wrapped up in an addiction right now. So how could God use me there? And I'm, I'm totally in bondage right now. But God can speak a word of knowledge right now about your present circumstance and the addiction that you're facing right now. And he can set you free. And then as you're getting set free, God said, I set you free because you're going to be a missionary to Africa. So I dealt with your past and your present because I have a plan for you. And this thing was keeping you from the plan that I have for you. So I need to release you from that so that you can move towards what I have for you. All right, so we're going to talk today about 
a word of wisdom and the gifts of the Spirit operating in the word of wisdom over our life. And just like last week where we talked about it is a word of knowledge. It is not the gift of knowledge. It is the gift of the word of knowledge. Today, this is the gift of the word of wisdom, not the gift of wisdom. So there's a difference between general or intellectual wisdom and then supernatural wisdom. Let me give you some ideas of maybe some uh, general or intellectual uh, knowledge in the Scripture. Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua is getting ready to lead God's people. It is a monumental task. God says to him, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. I want you to meditate on my word. The word meditate there means to murmur over and over and over again. People are against meditation. All the world did was take something that was godly and twist it. We have the original claim on meditation. We're to meditate on God's word. He said, meditate on my word day and night so that you, Joshua, will know how to conduct yourself, how to lead these people. So get in my word, Joshua, and that will teach you what you need to know in in order to lead God's people. All kinds of people want leadership principles. You do not need to work and operate in the gifts of the Spirit to develop leadership principles. All you need to do is meditate on God's Word. May I suggest to you, you should meditate one day out of every month on the uh, chapter in the book of Proverbs. And now God will give you general and intellectual wisdom. And people think you're super smart. And you're like, no, I've just been meditating on the word of God. And God is moving me. But it is not the supernatural gift of the word of wisdom. That's just general and inspirational wisdom. God said to Joshua, just study. Get in my word both day and night. And observe everything that I've been writing there. Observe it and do it. And God will take care of you. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, James would say there, he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God for it. So here we have the request of, he's, James is saying, if you lack wisdom, this is me, if I lack wisdom, what do I do? I'm not supposed to ask somebody else for it. I'm to ask God. Say, God, I lack wisdom. I don't know how to do this. Now, this is just how Jason McKinnis prays. Right before I come out to preach every Sunday, when I did Wednesday nights, I don't, if I'm going to a funeral or going to wherever it is, and Lord, I can't walk with you without you. I can't talk without you. I, could put, I can't put two sentences together without you. Lord, I need you to show up and anoint my mind and my heart and my ears. Lord, just to help me have wisdom and how to lead your people. I'm getting ready to get up and break down the bread of life. God, I need you to put something in my mind that Jason McKinnis didn't come up with. So, Lord, I need you to give wisdom. And here's what the Scripture said. If you ask of God for wisdom, he will give it to you liberally. He's gonna, if you, any of you ask God for wisdom, if you don't know which way to go, where to turn, how to operate, just ask God, and he will give you wisdom. Without reproach, it will be given to you. Now, I think we should read probably verse 6 of James chapter 1 and verse 7 because there it says that if you're going to ask God for wisdom, you need to ask God in faith. Without wavering means you got to put your foot in the right down and say, I'm not going to move. Lord, I have faith that you're going to give me wisdom and God will give you wisdom. Without wavering with, with faith, because if you don't do that, the scripture says there that you'll become an unstable man. Now we can talk about instability. There is a, a huge amount of people who are unstable right now and they say, I'm only unstable in one way. 
Nope. If you are unstable, you are unstable in all your ways is what the scripture says. And what we are producing out of our instability and our vacillating between decisions of I'm going to serve God, I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to be in church or I'm not going to be in church. I'm going to serve the Lord with everything I got or I'm not. What we have is a vagabond spirit that's roaming around our world today because we cannot decide. We cannot make a decision and put our whole heart. We can't use the words of, that were script written in old, the Old Testament where it says, as for me and my house. I don't care what they legislate. They can legislate anything they want to legislate. It will not change how I live because I live for the Lord. I don't care what they legalize. What, it doesn't matter. That doesn't change who I am because I'm not reporting to their law. I have to live by this law. And there is the law of the Spirit which is written on my heart. And you're just going to have to determine without wavering. This is who I am. And God will then just give it to you liberally and you'll have all kinds of wisdom. That's just general inspirational wisdom, but a word of wisdom. God giving it to you in part is supernatural revelation coming by the Spirit of God because these are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It comes by the Spirit of God and it concerns God's divine purpose and God's plan for your life. So this word of knowledge is coming or, and word of wisdom that is coming is dealing with your future. A word of knowledge deals with the past and the present, but a word of wisdom, it would normally pertain to the future events that God has for you in your life. And so as we're breaking this apart, I would say that like this, even though I'm only teaching about one today, I think most of these gifts operate either at simultaneously, work kind of at the same time. So at the same time, God's dropping a word of knowledge into your life. It should not catch you by surprise that while somebody is addressing something from God about your past or your present, that they immediately shift and speak something to you about your future. And you're like, well, I thought that person only worked in the word of knowledge. But the Bible says that the, the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit can operate the way that God wills that they operate. So they can give you a word of knowledge and instantaneously then move right into a word of wisdom because it's the same spirit that gave them the word of knowledge that is giving them the word of wisdom. And so God can use any vehicle at any time to get you where he needs you. And every one of these gifts is trying to get you where God desires for you to be. God is using these gifts to move you up into his great plan and purpose over your life. So the Old Testament prophets would operate like this. An Old Testament prophet would prophesy about the present, which is really what we would call a word of knowledge and operation. I gave you a few of those last week. But then they would also prophesy about things concerning the future, which then would be a word of wisdom in operation. Even though the word of wisdom about the future came through a person sitting in the office of prophet, it was not necessarily what we would call the gift of prophecy. It was the gift of the word of wisdom because it was bringing revelation to it. So I, I want to take some time. I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself by uh, about four weeks, I guess. But I'm going to take some time and I'm going to talk to you a little segment here of a sermon I'm going to preach to you the first Sunday in October. I want to talk to you about the difference between the office of prophet and what we would call the gift of prophecy. 
And I want to use a word before the, before, before the word prophecy, when I'm talking about the gift of prophecy that we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. But I do not mean to use the word as a way to cast any uh, aspersion on the gift of prophecy. I just want to use the word simple. Because I think it helps us bring clarity to whether or not we are sitting in the office of prophet or are we using just the simple gift of prophecy that Paul said that we should desire. And so the office of prophet and the gift or the simple gift of prophecy are quite different. And uh, so the individual who operates in the office of prophet. That's a gift to the church according to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Many people think it has ceased. According to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, it was given to the church. It's a gift from God that was given to the church. Why? Because God needs all five of those ministries operating in the church to bring the church to where God has plans and purpose for it. And so the, a, a prophet has to have a person sitting in that office of prophet in the fivefold ministry has to have this gift of wisdom operating in his life or their life consistently. Uh, other people have said their version of an office of prophet, like uh, people like Kenneth Hagin and ministers like that, they would say that somebody who would sit in the office of prophet must be called to one of the other fivefold ministries. So they must be called to be a pastor or a teacher or an evangelist or an apostle. And then they would also then hold the office of prophet, but that they would need at least two or three of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are recorded in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 operating in their life consistently. Because it would do no good, right, to have somebody who calls themselves a prophet. I am a prophet, but I can't speak to your past and I can't speak to your present and I can't definitely can't speak to you about your future. What good would that do to have somebody who sits in the office of prophet and they cannot be used by God in the gifts of the Spirit? So we have a lot of people who are self-proclaimed prophets but cannot be used in the gifts of the Spirit. And I would say to them, you are not sitting in the office of prophet because you need the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in your life. And so we, the gift of prophecy, though, on the other hand, that we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, should not be confused with the prophetic office or the office of the ministry because the simple gift of prophecy, we kind of touched on this just a little bit two weeks ago, the simple gift of prophecy has no revelation in it. It is not revealing anything about your future. Paul said the simple gift of prophecy is there to exhort, to encourage, to edify, to lift you up, and to comfort. He didn't say it would reveal your future. He said it's there to edify, it's there to exhort, and it's there to comfort you. That's the simple gift of prophecy. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3 is where he says that. He says it's there to edify the people in the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul is writing to the church there. He said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now, is the Apostle Paul telling every one of us that we all are going to sit in the office of prophet? No, Paul was telling them all, desired spiritual gifts, and I want you to go after prophecy. The best thing you can do. People say, I want to know what the will of God is. The best thing you can do is to encourage, to lift up, and comfort the people in the church. 
You want to know what the will of God is for your life? It's to lift up your brother. It's to encourage your brother. And when they're down and out, it is to comfort your brother. Many people think that that's the opportunity to kick them while they're down. No, the gift that is in you is to lift them up, to encourage them to go on and comfort them in the trials of their life. That's what Paul said. Desire, rather, that you would prophesy. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, hey, I want you all to prophesy. I want you to do this. But then later on in the same chapter, verse uh, chapter 14, he asked, are all prophets? Are all of you prophets? No. But then earlier he said that you would all prophesy, right? Because we all should be encouraging, edifying, and comforting one another. But that doesn't make us all prophets. It makes us all operating in the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if prophesying, edifying, exhorting, and comfort made a person to be able to sit in the office of prophet. Then the apostle Paul was contradicting himself, but he was not. Because there is no element of prediction or foretelling or forthtelling in what we would call the simple gift of prophecy. What we call prophecy is most often a word of wisdom that God is using somebody in. That is not, now here's where it's going to get clear as mud. That does not mean that somebody, and I have a person in my life that is so gifted in this area. They deny it, but they're very gifted in it. They are gifted in this gift of prophecy. They know God's word so well. They will come up to me, and they'll begin to give a word of encouragement, edifying, and comforting me. And just as they finish giving me a scripture and a verse, God shifts them immediately while they're talking about that then God shifts them into a word of wisdom and they begin to say that scripture is going to allow you to do this and allow you to do this and allow you to do this and so they immediately shift right into a word of wisdom about the future they were just comforting me they were just encouraging me they were just edifying me but all of a sudden God dropped the future event in their life and they begin to foretell and reveal to me by the spirit of God what was going to happen they just begin to shift immediately into a word of wisdom about the future over my life. Then people say, okay, uh, word of wisdom is about the future, word of knowledge about the past or present. How does the gift of wisdom, how does that operate in my life? How does it make itself known in my life? John chapter 16 and verses 13 through 14, it's in your prayer life. He said, if you begin to pray and the Holy Spirit will show you Things to come, future. So you begin to pray and the Holy Spirit will begin to show you things that are getting ready to happen in your life. Then we have Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that this can come, a word of wisdom can come from any individual who is called to the fivefold ministry, whether they're a pastor or a prophet, or an apostle, an evangelist, or a teacher, they can, God can use them. And so you can have people in leadership here in the church that God will speak to them, and they can come to you and say, God, God spoke to me, and I have, here's what God's plan and purpose is over your life. So through individuals, through your prayer life, through individuals. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, it can come through the gift of tongues and through the interpretation of tongues. Genesis chapter 37, it came through a dream and a vision to, to Joseph. Prophecy, the old school prophets prophesying, is a vehicle that God uses to bring revelation of his plans and his purpose. These are the prophets of the Old Testament 
And in the New Testament and here in the current world, in the church age, the God uses prophets that sit in the office of prophets and he reveals to them things to come, things that are getting ready to happen. And so I know that there's so much of this going on right now. So I, I wanted to take a moment. I wanted to, to at the 9 o'clock, I told them I was going to confront something, but they would have to read between the lines. And then I thought better of that, and I just would come out and say it. And, and I think so many people are so quick to say, God said. To me, if I'm going to stand before you and say, God said, I better know that I know that I know that I know that God said it. I think people speaking on behalf of God and just because it's their opinion or what they watched on the news, that's dangerous behavior. That is very dangerous behavior. And so we need to be careful that we don't just get caught up in emotions and miss the will of God for our lives. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 22 out of the New King James says, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has po spoken presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, if you've never had people who work in the gift of prophecy or, or sit in the office of prophecy ever come to your church, that scripture probably doesn't make sense. But when I was a kid growing up and the prophet would come around, everybody got prayed through before that revival ever happened. Why? Because they knew that that joker was going to read their mail. And here the scripture says, if it says it, don't be afraid of him. Here's what the message says. Same verse. If what the prophet spoke in God's name doesn't happen, then obviously God wasn't behind it. The prophet made it up. Forget him. So I think we need to be careful with all the people prophesying right now. Saying God said, and God said, and God said. We need to be very careful. I can't speak for everybody else. I can just speak for this house, the house that I lead and I'm the pastor of. We need to be very careful when we say God said. Because if you do it often enough, people are going to forget you. And then next time you want to lay a word on somebody, they'll not trust you because you're the one who cried wolf one too many times. On the other side of that, the church needs to show some grace when people are operating in their gift, that they won't always get it 100% accurate. Because the church, contrary to what many people think, the church is the original cancel culture. That when people who tried to operate in their gifts didn't get it just right, we would throw them to the wolves and want to stone them. And then that spirit has crept into the church to the point where then God speaks to somebody else. And they're going to say, I don't want to say anything because the last guy that said it, they threw him over the cliff. And so then the church is robbed of the gifts of the spirit because the church has no grace. There's a balance. Know that you know. But the apostle Paul says that we're seeing through a glass darkly. We're not fully comprehending everything that God is saying. We're only seeing in part. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That's not just the love chapter. He's talking about there are times where we're, we're desiring to do it right. But maybe we just misheard it, misinterpreted it, and we didn't mean anything behind it with any malice or any other spirit behind us. We just messed it up. We should have grace because those people deserve it. 
because you deserve it. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10. This is Jeremiah said, Jeremiah said, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So sometimes if somebody can prophesy something, foretell, give revelation about something. People say, well, it didn't come true. Well, maybe they repented. And so the evil that you thought should come upon them, which is a despicable thought, that you would desire that evil would come upon somebody. But it didn't come upon them because maybe they repented. Or maybe there was a prophecy that was going to be good concerning your life or someone else's life, and you say, well, that didn't come true. Well, what most people do is say, well, it was a bad messenger. Stone him. He told me, and it didn't come true. It just might be, though, that you're a bad receiver. Tom Brady throws a pass. It's perfect. It is on the mark. Except that his receiver is stone hands from, un, from necessary roughness. Perfect pass. On the mark. Is it the fault of the quarterback or was it the fault of the receiver who didn't catch it? And in the church, for some reason, if we don't get it the way we think we should, it has nothing to do with me and has everything to do with that guy behind the pulpit. But could it be that when God prophesied it over you, there was a condition that you needed to honor the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you have failed to do that? Therefore, God has relented in blessing you because if he blessed you, you would think it's about you and not about him. Man, it's quiet in this first church of the frigid air. Prophecies can be conditional. Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. He cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. We know that Nineveh repented at this time and it was not destroyed. It was much later that it would be destroyed. So prophecy can be more about the what than than the when. There are many times that we just begin to misinterpret the message that God is sending. There are many times that I know that God has spoke to me. And I'm ready to go. But my attitude is not right to deliver it according to the heart of God. There are things that go on in people's life and God will say something to me and I want to address it. Like I'm hot under the collar and I want to deal with it. And I want to say something. I want to type something. I heard from God, but then I deliver it inappropriately. And that message that was from the heartbeat of God has been now distorted by the emotions of Jason. And so there are many times that God drops a word of knowledge or wisdom in your life that you need to make sure that you're praying, hey, I got the right word, but Lord, let me have the right attitude. Because if you don't love them and you're angry with them and then you drop that on them, your emotion is going to shine through. And may I remind you, you're speaking on behalf of God. 
And God loves them. And God has their best interest at heart. And you just destroyed them because you had the right word, but you just delivered it the wrong way. So we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. So God can speak to us through a dream, through a vision, through our prayer time, through other individuals. Here's another way, by an angel. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, an angel. I mean, there's just a few ways that God can speak to you. There's other ways, but God, these are the main ways that God speaks. The word of wisdom and, re- and operation in the scripture, you can go read the book of Revelation. John on the Isle of Patmos, he received a word of knowledge, then he received a word of wisdom. We call it prophecy, but it was a foretelling event. God was dropping into his mind futuristic events, but at the same time, God was telling him what was going on in the churches that he was pastoring, that he was the apostle over. In Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16, there's a man by the name of Ananias who talked to him about last week. And the scripture says a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise, go to the street called Straight, inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. There's a present circumstance. And then God said, he's already seen you coming. Future. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard about this guy on Facebook and it ain't good. We've heard a lot about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he, he, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. And the Lord said to him, go, for he is my chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the children of Israel. This is the future I have for him. We got to deal with something right now because I have a future for him. And you're going to lay hands on him. And then when I, you lay hands on him, this is what you're going to say. And you're going to tell him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Acts chapter 8, Philip received a word of wisdom. He said, this, there's an Ethiopian eunuch out there. You need to go. Get up. Arise. So he arose and he went. And then he gets alongside of the chariot. And the Spirit of the Lord says to him, then, draw near. Get near to the chariot. See, a lot of us were like, hey, we went to church. But man, there's another step, y'all. You can draw near. You draw near. Do what God has called you to do. Old Testament operation of the word of wisdom. And Genesis chapter 6 a word of wisdom came to a man by the name of Noah. Lord, the Lord said to him, I'm going to end all the flesh that has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. Then he says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. That was not general knowledge. Nobody had ever built a boat before because it had never rained before. And God said, hey, you need to start building a boat because, hey, there's going to be a storm coming. There's going to be some rain coming. And I tell you that that same word of wisdom is also given to the church that you need to get in the ark because there's a storm coming. Oh, it's never happened before. Rapture's never happened before. Well, get ready. So he built the ark according to the word of the Lord. A word of wisdom came to Joseph about a dream. He shared the dream, then operated his life according to those dreams. In Agabus, Acts chapter 11, Agabus had a word of wisdom. Acts 21, he had a word of wisdom about the apostle Paul that he would be bound when he goes to Jerusalem. Then in Acts chapter 27, Paul receives a word of wisdom. He's getting ready to get on a boat and he says, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Then 13 verses later, he said, an angel of the Lord stood by me this night whom I, from, from God whom I belong to and whom I serve. And the angel said, don't be afraid. 
Because, Paul, you have to be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. So he has this word of wisdom to say to all the guys, hey, the boat's going to fall apart, but we're going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. So in order for the word of wisdom to be an operation in the church, it is not enough just for God's people to hear it. Then you must also do what that word said. Arise, go, get up, draw near, say, Lay hands on. You have to do something with the word that you received. Because if you don't do it, then the person that's really the intended target of what God has spoke to you in your life will not realize that God is looking out for them because you held on to what God said to you. We need to understand that God has our best interest at heart. And so when God is going to use you with a gift, he has your best interest at heart, and he knows that you're going to be one that is willing to go speak to that person. And basically what you're telling that person is the same thing. God has your best interest at heart. It may be a word of correction, but because he's correcting you, the Lord loves you. Because God has his, your best interest at heart. And when you use the gift that God has for you, it is a profit to everyone. And then they must do the word that is spoken over their life. So I just want to kind of maybe help you by explaining how these gifts operate in my life. You know, I preached my first sermon when I was eight years old. Came out of the Gospel of John. And I knew that God had called me. There was a word of wisdom spoke over my life by James Croom. He was the preacher. Called me off the front row, spoke a word over my life. And so as I began, I began to be a youth pastor at the age of 16, multiple positions in churches, and I've always prayed for basically the three revelatory gifts, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and the discerning of spirits. I wanted to know past and present circumstances, I wanted God to speak to me about the future, but then I also needed to have discernment, the discerning of spirits to know the obstacles that were standing in the way between those two things. That's just me. And over my life, God has used me in those gifts a lot of ways. But I've never heard directly from an angel, unless you're counting Melissa. But I, I've never heard, I've never had an angel show up. I don't know quite what I would do. You know, Melissa might probably, probably have to pick me up off the floor. But I've never heard directly from an angel. Um. But I have had dreams, what I would call inward impressions while I'm praying. I've had visions. I've had God use me in these three gifts. Three years ago, uh, I, was, I had a dream. And the dream was about a local business here in this area and the success that God had planned for it. It was very specific. And what would happen over the next few years for that business, if they would continue to honor God in every area of their business and of their personal lives. But what I needed, I had this dream, I knew what God was saying to me, but I needed the opportunity, not in a church service where other people could hear us, but I needed the opportunity for an audience with the owners of that business to be able to share the intimate details that God had given to me in the dream. Some of you that are close to me, you know this story. Three weeks after the dream, the owner of that business called me at my house. 
and asked me a few questions, and then I, God had just given me that opportunity. And over the last three years, that business has multiplied beyond imagination, even through the pandemic, because they have put God first in every single area of their business and their personal lives. Now, that has nothing to do with me, really has nothing to do with the business owner, because all I was doing was conveying to them what I felt like God had a plan and a purpose for their life. They had to meet the conditions, and God would keep his promise. So it has all glory goes back to God for what God is doing in their lives. So many times for me, it's much easier for me, for Jason McKinnis, to receive a word of knowledge and wisdom and accept it when I'm praying versus when I'm dreaming. Because when I'm praying, and that's how God used to use it all the time, is when I'm praying, I know that I'm talking to God. And so the person that's going to respond back to me, I'm pretty sure that's God. But when I get a dream, then I have to calculate, well, did I eat mayonnaise? Did we go to Fujiyama's? Was Melissa listening to a crime show while I was sleeping? It was, you know, what, what was happening there? So I'm trying to clarify, was that you, God? Or was Melissa whispering, buy me a purse, buy me a purse? I was just, what was happening here? So for me, it's just me, easier for me to go, if I'm praying, I know that that's God. But when a dream comes to me, for me, this is just, just how Jason works. I want to ensure that I know that was God. So I take dreams, which is a word of wisdom. It could be a word of knowledge. God speaks to us through dreams. And I go to other people, and I rehearse to them the dream. And say, does this make sense? And here's the other test of that. If I can rehearse it to them a few days after I've had the dream, then God's trying to say something to me in the dream. I look at dreams in the Word of God very much like manna. Right, there's, there's sometimes I get a thought during a service, and I'm like, oh, that'll preach. And then I can't even remember it by the end of the service. And so I'm like, nope, that, that, that wasn't for me. Not to preach. You just spoke that to me, and that was just there. See, when God's rained manna down, the manna kept as long as God wanted it to keep to give him nourishment. He said to them, one day through the week, and then he said, I'm going to give you provision, bread. I'm going to give you bread for the weekend, and it'll keep for two. The Word of God is the bread of life. It's what gives me sustenance to keep going on, whether it's here or whether it's when I'm praying, however it is, it's the Word of the Lord that brings nourishment to my body. The Holy Spirit's like water, and His Word is bread. You can sustain your whole life on words from God and the Holy Spirit. And so I, if, if a dream comes to me and I can't remember it a couple days afterwards, I'm like, well, God didn't want that to keep for me. If it can keep, then I know God's trying to say something, not just to me, but I need to share that with whoever God wants me to share that with. And I go to other people because 1 Corinthians chapter 14 we should go and get other people to confirm that the word that the Lord gave us, whether that be a word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, whatever it may be, if we are unsure, we are to go and let the others judge the word that we just shared. So they judge it before you go give it. When we were in Los Angeles and 
March of 20. The pandemic was kind of breaking out. I, I must tell you, honestly, I did not know when we got on the plane to go to Los Angeles that it was a big deal. During our time in Los Angeles, I mean, we went from everything open and everything was great to the Uber drivers were spraying us with Lysol before we got in the car. I wasn't really attached to news, but I was back and forth with the staff a lot and we were trying to decide and we got up early on, uh, early in the morning to catch a flight home. And I was scheduled to be home and I had had a meeting already scheduled with all the original members of the church. We were going to have dinner. And I, with those, all the original members who were left, we were going to have dinner with them. And I was going to share with them the vision of the church first because they brought me here. And all that got scratched. We brought all the leadership of the church, the core group leaders in, all the pastors. We brought them all in and we met in Auditorium B. And I said, God, I'm on the plane and getting ready to go to the, getting ready to go to the airport to get on the plane. And I said, God, no one's ever walked through this before. I need you to speak to me. I'm going to stand in front of your people. I got to lead them. And I don't know what to do. By the time I got on the plane, I sat down next to Melissa and I said, Melissa, this is exactly what's going to happen. I told her by the end of the, by the, end of the pandemic, we would have lost two-thirds of our church. God gave me the exact numbers that we would have at the end of it. And he did that to calm my heart because it is a horrible thing as a pastor to watch people leave. You look at those numbers today, it's right in line with what God told me on that plane. I told her, this is how we're going to lead. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to say. This is the position of the church. And God just began to prepare us ahead of time for what was coming at us. This is how much God cares for you. God will speak to you. He will help you. So Monday night, after everybody left our house, and wasn't much of a cookout because I can't eat anyway. I've been very intentional about going to bed. I'm a guy that midnight to 4.30 in the morning, that's, that's when I sleep. Over the last few months, I've been very intentional because of the mental stress of what we're going through. I've been very intentional about getting rest. So I went to bed. Went to bed very early. Went to bed for Melissa. Lucy, Melissa's dog, woke me up at 1.30 in the morning to go outside. Melissa had failed in her duties. So Lucy knew she wasn't going to get her up, so Lucy got me up. It says 1.30 in the morning, and by, from that time I went to bed to 1.30, I had, I had had two dreams. The first dream scared me. Melissa uses this, like it's like a jet propulsion fan to sleep with for the noise. I use it to keep me cool because she likes it 150 degrees. So I'm usually cold at night, she's hot at night, and that's the way I like it. But I had sweated out, sweated through everything. And just as I was coming out of the first dream, I went right into another dream in a whole different scene. The first dream 
was the enemy of my soul personally. Threatening me about speaking the truth to you. Dredging up things that are under the blood. Saying, I'll expose this, this, and this if you say these things to the church. Because it is the enemy's desire to quench the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. And the best thing he could do is to bring your past right back up to you to ruin the future that God has for you. And as I slipped out of that dream of coming to the next one, and I'm on the top of this hill, and there is a battle raging. And it's hard to decipher who's who. You know, you watch the Revolutionary War, you watch the Civil War, they're on lines and you know right off. Those are the American army and that's the, you know, that's the British army. The north and the south, they had blue and they had gray. Very, you could tell. But in this battlefield, you could not tell. They were shooting, destroying, devouring everybody. It was going in every direction. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It, it, it was just the last man standing. It was just killing each other all over the place. I had a weapon in my hand. And then there's a choice. I can be engaged in a battle that I don't even understand. I don't even know whose side to be on because I don't see a side. And these people are killing, and my heart is broke because these people are killing each other. So I begin to run through the battlefield. And as I'm running through the battlefield, out of the corner of my eye, I catch that there is this clear path down this hill. And so instead of engaging in this battle where everybody is fighting each other and killing each other and destroying each other, I just take this clear path down this hill and I just begin to slide down the hill. And as I come to the bottom of the hill, I slide right into this campsite. And as I get up on my feet, Lucifer stands up out of his lawn chair by his little campfire. No bodyguards, nobody preventing me from walking into his camp. It was a clear path down. And he said, how did you get here? I said, I slid down that clear path. He said, I'm amazed that you got here. Because all those people, every person in that battlefield, they're on my side. They think that they are on another side. And then they destroy somebody that they think is on another side. But the reality is, they are all on my side they are devouring and destroying and killing each other and he's just sitting down there chilling at the campfire and all I had to do was ignore the battle that wasn't mine and find a clear path that was already paid for me to go down and confront my enemy and the enemy was shocked that a child of God did not engage in a battle out here instead went down a clear path and confronted the real enemy. This is exactly what's going on in our world today. Church people fighting church people. Church people fighting sinners. Church people fighting government. Government fighting the church. Government fighting individuals. It is firing in every angle. 
And all the while that we're firing shots in directions of people that we're not even sure what side they are, they're just not on my side. They didn't like my Facebook post. They don't agree with my vaccine position. They don't agree with my mask position. They don't agree with my mandate position. So I'm just going to kill and I'm going to destroy and I'm going to tear them down and I'm standing for God and what's right. But the reality is while you kill and destroy other people, you're not on God's side at all. You're on the devil's side. And so while we get caught up in all of these other distractions and worrying about this and arguing about that and fussing about that, we miss this clear path that the cross of Calvary has already paid for us to go down into the enemy's camp and take care of business in the enemy's camp. And we say, Lord, I want revival. I want revival. Then stop fighting wars that aren't meant for you to fight. And let's fight the good fight of faith. Stop fighting in your carnality. And let's get a hold of the strongholds that are up above us and use our weapons, which are not carnal. They're not your keyboard. They're not your phone. They're not your, no, no. Their weapons are used by God. They're mighty through God. And they pull down strongholds. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And it's a clear path. So I beg of you. I beg of you. I urge you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Stop. Stop. You're aborting revival. That person that you just tried to kill with your Facebook post, they need Jesus. And they'll never receive Jesus because you just stabbed them. Stop. You're destroying one another. I had a choice. I had a weapon. I have an opinion. But my opinion does not supersede his truth. Right? Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them. You got two of them and they stink. Let it go. Let it go. Because here's the thing. I don't care what they legislate. It doesn't matter to me what law they pass. It will not change my life. I know in whom I have believed in, they can legalize it. Doesn't mean I have to do it. That's not my fight. My fight is to preach the truth. Stand for truth. Let the Holy Spirit flow in this church. And when, when they get truth in their life, I trust that God will lead them into all paths of righteousness and of truth. What we're wanting to do is let the sinner be righteous before he ever gets truth. In other words, the old school thing was we're trying to clean the fish before we ever caught the fish. Here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And he said, I saw these seraphim there, and they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And their voices, when they're saying these words, their voices shook the temple. It shook it to its foundations. That's what this entire pandemic has done. It eliminated two-thirds of this church, but didn't even hurt it financially. That's because a lot of people were out there on the periphery living in the overflow. They weren't giving. They weren't serving. They're just hanging out here and saying, I go to SIWC. Big whoop. These angels, when they worship, their voices shook the temple to its foundations. That's what's happened. We're down to the core of the church. 
And then that core of the church, that foundation, now we can build the church that God really wants here. And the entire, I like this, the entire building was filled with smoke. Now the seraphim means burning. They're highly intelligent people. They did not have to stay there. But their eyes got fastened on something. Their eyes got fastened on the Lord. And then as their eyes got fastened on the Lord, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so their eyes were fastened on the Lord. They didn't say pandemic. They didn't say mass. They didn't say vaccine. They didn't say that. They said, holy, holy, holy. What I'm looking at is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The one who was and is and is to come. And the whole earth, the whole earth is not filled with fear. It's filled with His glory. It's filled with His glory. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the cloud, that smoke just began to stretch across it. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to check out our podcast weekly, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit SIWCenter.org to find out more information about Southern Illinois Worship Center. Be sure to join us right here next week.